Hello, everyone. Welcome back to National Park After Dark, our Trail Tales edition. Again, this week, we have lots of cool stories that you've all sent in to us. Happy belated birthday. Me? Oh, yeah. my God. It is my belated birthday because this is the 22nd. My birthday is June 20th. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm sure we had a great time. I'm sure we did, too. We're recording this, obviously, before <laughs> my birthday. I'm really excited to be 32, Two? I think. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm 32 and you're Okay, yeah. so I'm turning 32. 32. Okay, yeah. I'm really excited for turning 32 and our time. We can all tell. Thank you. Thrilled. Thrilled. Actually, I have plans. When this comes out, I will be, uh, I guess it'll be, yeah. I, for my brother, I have a twin brother. We're hiking Mount Washington for our birthdays this year. So that's oh, what awesome. I would have been doing. So hopefully I had good weather and a good time. <laughs> and we would just be coming off our Yosemite trip. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good month. See, a great way. should be 32. (laughs) There you go. You should be stoked to tell me your first story. Okay. Because you're going first. I am. Okay. Thrown to the fire. All right, I'm ready. My story is titled, A Chilling Cryptid Encounter, Yellowstone National Park After Dark. Hi, Cassie and Danielle. My name is Emily, and I'm a big fan of your podcast and national parks in general. This story takes place... This past summer, when I worked in Yellowstone National Park, I found this podcast right before my seasonal contract ended, and I binged the entire thing on my road trip home to the East Coast. I would listen to specific episodes about each national park I was planning to visit while driving there, and it was really cool to learn about the history of each park and hear the stories that had happened before I arrived there. It was only because of the podcast that I learned that I was visiting Death Valley on its anniversary. Halloween. I spent the day exploring the valley, then made a quick stop to Area 51. Best Halloween ever. Anyways, getting to my story. I used to work the late night shift from 3 p.m. until midnight. I got into a habit of drinking a lot of coffee throughout the day so I'd be able to stay awake as the night went on. Because of this, it was pretty common for me to clock out at the end of the night and not be tired at all. One of the things I really loved to do was go for a night drive when I couldn't sleep. It was really cool to drive through the pitch black forest at night. It felt like I had the whole park to myself because there was never anybody on the roads. I would also see tons of wildlife from mountain goats to elk and bison roaming the area after dark. It was a warm night in August and I, yet again, could not sleep. After tossing and turning for an hour, I just decided to get up and go for a drive. It was around 2 a.m. I grabbed my keys and started walking out to my car. There is a small tree line that separates the employee dorms from the unlit parking lot. I walk through the trees and into the clearing towards my car, not paying particular attention to anything as this was a regular thing for me. When I noticed something out of the corner of my eye, I turned my head and saw a figure over by one of the small smaller cars. At first, I thought this was a trick of my eye. I did a double take and realized that whatever this was was hunched over the sloping trunk of the car. Its shape looked human. I couldn't make out exactly what it was in the shadows, but something about the way the body was contorted didn't look right to me. It looked like it was trying to hide. I stared into the darkness, trying to figure out who or what this was. What were they doing out here at two in the morning? Why were they acting so strangely? acting like they didn't want to be seen. As I took a step closer, the figure darted behind the left side of the car where I couldn't see it anymore. Intrigued, 
I watched the space beneath the car and the ground to see if I could see feet moving near the tires. In the dark, I thought I saw some movement, but I wasn't entirely sure. I rounded the back of the car to the left side to see where this thing had gone, but there was absolutely nothing there. I didn't see anything walk away into the tree line or out from behind the car. I stood back wondering if I had really just seen that or if it was just a trick of my eye like I had originally thought. I was thinking, huh. That was really weird when all of the sudden I heard a voice inside my head say, you need to get in the car right now. Get to the car. You are not safe. Get to your car. It wasn't my voice in my head that I heard. It was an external voice urging me that something was not right. I was pretty calm before I had heard this, but after I did, my stomach dropped and I got that primal gut instinct that something was wrong. I followed the voice and quickly turned around and walked to my car, and I could feel something watching me from behind as I did. I didn't look back because I just knew if I did, something really bad would happen. I opened my door and sat down in the driver's seat, and as I was closing the door, I heard a high-pitched giggle. Oh. Oh my god, this is giving me chills just reading this. Okay. (laughs) It sounded really close, like it was coming from the back of my car. I locked the doors immediately and sat there for a second, trying to process what had just happened. Get out of there. Yeah, think about it somewhere else. (laughs) Like, you're giving me anxiety. Get out right now. Um. (laughs) I could explain away seeing the thing. It was dark and maybe I was just seeing shit, but I could not explain away hearing it laugh. The next morning when I told my friends and coworkers about this encounter, they were all shocked that I didn't completely freak out. I think the weirdest part about the whole thing was how I was able to remain questionably calm. By nature, I'm an incredibly paranoid and jumpy person, but for some reason, I was hardly faced by what happened in the moment. For some reason, I thought it was all in my head. Every time I look back on it, I get full body chills. Was it a skinwalker? Bigfoot, some other sort of cryptid, I'll never know what it is I saw that night. Enjoy the view, but watch your back. You never know what lurks in a national park after dark. Emily. What she was describing in the very beginning kind of reminds me. So I'm re-watching Midnight Mass, and I'm not even going to... Ex- I know you haven't seen it, so okay. I'm not even gonna- <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, but that one. For those of us who have seen it, it reminds me. It's like, it's not one of those shows where it's like, obviously this creepy thing that's just like in the beginning that's like there and it's terrifying it's just like a little shadow and it kind of you have to adjust your eyes to the scene to kind of see it Mm -hmm. and and then it like darts away really quick so it reminds me of that it's like it's off there's something there did you see it did you not see it it's intelligent because it's responding to you and yeah it reminds me of that the laughing is out of this world let's you know what i mean feels like a person to me like a creep in the dark I don't you know when you feel like someone's watching you and there's a voice inside of your head that says get out right now you're not Mm -hmm. safe or if someone's walking too close behind you or if there's just sometimes you just get off feelings about a person when they were describing that voice in their head I'm like I've had that voice before and that feels like a person to me not but they do talk about they were weirdly calm and things but I don't know that voice feels like a person to me and then hearing a laugh I don't know when you say giggle was it a high pitch giggle was it was it feminine was it more of a masculine sound I I don't know but I just it feels like a person to me yeah and remember when she was like what were they doing out at 2 a.m it's it reminds me of when you're in the airport and you're like, where is everyone going as you're somewhere? It's like, like you're there. What somewhere. are you doing there at 2 a.m.? 
<laughs> right. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Either way, close call, but glad it turned out the way it did. All right, my first one is called Rusty Ross and the Coincidence Cats. Hi, Cassie and Danielle. My wife and I are huge fans of NPAD and love to enjoy and share what NPAD is and the incredible community of brave people and their journeys on this tiny speck in space we call Earth this podcast represents. In my head, I call us the Patters. We always have you on when we cook dinner, take a drive on our way camping because why not get a little scared just to make sure we watch our backs and just anytime we want to journey to one of our amazing parks here in the U.S. via a tale told by two awesome women. We always feel like we're sitting around a campfire with you two when we listen and there's few things more sacred in our routine. Way to hype us up just by the way. I'm blushing a little bit. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We live in the Loveland slash Fort Collins area of Colorado, 40 minutes from the beautiful Rocky Mountain National Park and a little more than an hour from Arapahoe Roosevelt National Forest. Though living here currently, I grew up in San Diego hunting snakes during the day and scorpions at night in the desert badlands of Borrego Springs and Ocotillo Wells. Really uh, throwing a lot of words in there that are hard to pronounce. I know, I'm like, damn. (laughs) As well as exploring the coastal waters and kelp forests of San Diego via snorkel and fins. My wife grew up here in the Loveland and Fort Collins area. We met at university in Los Angeles. More recently, my wife and I lived in Portland, Oregon the past six years, loving everything the PNW has to offer. Endless beautiful waterfalls, evergreen trees that go on forever, glorious coffee roasters, and I believe the current residents of Bigfoot. Believers rise up. (laughs) But now the northern Colorado Rockies and its ancient lake bed foothills are our place that we call home. Seems like we have a lot aligned here. This story of Rusty Ross and the Coincidence Cats is not just one of danger, gore, and corgis, but of coincidences. Or is there no such thing? You two are the experts, so you're going to have to tell me. Rusty Ross is my wife's grandpa, age 80 in 2023, who inherited 5,000 acres of Rocky Mountain wilderness about 20 miles north of the small town of Cotopaxi, Colorado, from his parents and grandparents who originally settled in Howard, Colorado during the westward expansion of the late 1800s. Talk about luck. Yeah, that's amazing. And fortune. I was just, I'm looking for property right now. I wish someone would... I wish I could inherit 5,000 acres. Well, it's funny because this story, so Cotopaxi is a really small town and community out there. It's an outdoor brand too. Right. But coincidence or not, um, (laughs) Michelle, who uh, we donated um, to her nonprofit, Wild Lives, last year. Remember, Mm -hmm. I worked with her at the Wolf Mm -hmm. Center. She is building that sanctuary in Cotopaxi. Oh. Like, that's where her property is. Oh, Yeah. that. (laughs) Not to out you, Michelle, but... There it is. Anyways. (laughs) He lives in the electricless cabin at 9,900 feet in elevation. He was born in and has been cattle ranching for over 40 years, as well as a guide for elk and deer hunting in their respective seasons. His property butts up against one of the last undisturbed indigenous peoples of the Rockies before they were taken away for their land in the late 1980s. My point is, the place is out there, and it's beautifully untouched. At night, while we were sleeping in his cozy cabin, I swear we can feel the core of the earth churning because of the lack of city lights, noise, planes, and civilization. I feel a sixth sense, one of almost primal instincts, kick in when we are up there. I'm rooted, planted, and one with the earth. No bars held. 
It's beyond sacred, it's deeply transformative, and it feels like I found origin. As a way to preserve the land and its amazing beauty, Rusty donated his land to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation years back, so all of his land is federally protected and will always be a safe haven for all varieties of wildlife ranging from beavers to deer, bear, elk, and various varmints, and what this story is all about, mountain lions as long as the land exists. We're still able to be on it and use it however we like as if we owned it, but no new structures can be built. He seeks for only the enjoyment of his property and has the biggest smile with a completely white curly Q mustache when his friends or family visit and enjoy the beauty and vastness of these sacred scapes have to offer. What a beautiful gift. Yeah, that's amazing. Now about those coincidence cats I mentioned earlier. On January 10th, 2000, at Rusty's cabin, the wind was blowing extra hard one dark, cold winter's night, and his dog, Caddy, was growling at about 1 a.m. When he let Caddy out, it immediately began fighting with a mountain lion. He first thought it was a coyote, but he realized it was a mountain lion and that the lion had his dog by the throat, an inescapable situation for the dog that meant death. Rusty thought quickly, grabbed a two-by-four, and swung until the mountain lion died. Caddy had over $500 in vet bills to get him patched up, and his injuries required a lot of time to heal from. The moment was terrifying and a real shock to the small community of Cotopaxi. Rusty essentially told people, it's dangerous out here. Use my survival as a lesson. But Did that, the dog it, survive? Yeah. Okay. $500 of the vet. Yeah. Yeah, you said that it cost a lot. That doesn't mean that they survived. Oh, to get patched up. Yeah, okay. the dog lives. Okay. The dog lives. I feel like we were Mount all like not. not breathing and ready to press stop. I'm like, stop recording now. <laughs> Episode dog over. Lives. <laughs> but this is just the beginning. 14 years later, almost to the exact day, on January 12th, 2014, the same thing happened. Rusty said it was 4.30 a.m. when he let his dog Lizzie, a Pembroke Welsh Corgi, no, again? the least likely to be a mountaineering dog, outside to go to the bathroom. As Rusty called her back and stepped right by his feet at the threshold of the cabin door, a massive tan paw with razor-sharp claws launched from the darkness onto the top of the head of poor Lizzie. Rusty grabbed and jerked the cat, and Lizzie came loose. Rusty threw the cat yeet and got Lizzie into the house safely. The cat ended up clawing Rusty down the leg. Rusty the next day called the Division of Wildlife who tried to track down the lion but was unsuccessful. The local news captured both moments, see images attached, and Rusty is considered a local, maybe even mythical legend of these southern Rockies and everyone from Salida to Pueblo knows the story of Rusty Ross and the coincidence cats today. So you tell me, coincidence or not, maybe the cat had two lives, maybe mountain lions have midnight munchies too. All I know is that when you're a rancher in the Rocky Mountain wilderness with your Pembroke Will corgi you better enjoy the view but you should definitely also watch your back for mountain lions who might want a late night snack love always luke and ashlyn and he did attach i'm not gonna post the one that you can look it up i'm sure but um it's literally a picture there's a few different ones i'll post like the news clip newspaper clipping photo but there's a picture of and it's a framed photo of the first incident and rusty's literally like one leg up like one kneeling down, he has the two by four in his hand or whatever it is. Like it looks like a lot, a campfire log and the dead mountain lion in front of him. Not really. And I won't post it because people are going to come for me, but he fought a mountain lion twice. I mean, and one, and one both times, which is, <laughs> well, crazy. 
I don't know if that's a coincidence. Oh, well, the tax coincidence. I don't know. Almost to the exact day, like, for what was it, a decade apart or so yeah. is a little weird. It is. And it clearly wasn't the same cat because the first cat is dead. The, it was another but... cat that was out for anniversary revenge. That's right. The word around town was that. It was time. A debt was to... owed. <laughs> That's what happened. Oh, my God. Our professional opinion. Right. That's our final answer. Okay, well, my next story is titled Low Flying Pterodactyl. Hey, guys, I had a pretty horrifying experience in the Australian high country, which is made up of some incredibly remote and dense bushland. Both state and national parks make up the area. A group of us were camping in the Hokwa Hills Historic Area, which although is a state forest, the national park is only a few 100 meters up the road. The group consisted of my sister and her husband, a friend and her husband, and myself, and my partner, now ex-partner. The other two couples were camping in camper trailers, however, we were camping a little away away from the main group in a tent. The campground is located in a valley with a river that runs along the side of it. We were up there with multiple dogs and also our horses, and there were a couple of campers a little bit further down the river. The road that led to the campsite forked before the entrance with the other road leading up into the mountains and towards the national park. One of the first nights, I was awoken to the most blood-curdling scream sound I had ever heard. It was loud and echoing through the valley. I panicked, but froze in bed and tried to rationalize what the noise could be. My partner had the opposite reaction and started to move around on the blow-up mattress, making all the noises in the world. I shushed him and we both lay there frozen in fear. All I could think of at the time was the campers near us were being murdered, which could only mean that they were coming for us. The sound got closer and it sounded like it was circling our tent. As I laid there, I tried to rationalize that it couldn't be anything too serious as I hadn't heard any of the dogs growling. Just as I had that thought, one of the dogs started with a low growl. The type they do when they are scared, but still trying to warn off a predator. Heart racing, I laid there, waiting for the inevitable claw slash knife through the tent side. Just as suddenly as the screaming had started, it seemed to move up the road and towards the national park, and then disappeared altogether. Both my partner and I lay there for a second. Before he turned to me, and with the most sincerity, he broke the silence with, I think that was a pterodactyl. (laughs) what a wild assumption correct (laughs) just as he said that a massive gum tree up the river snapped at the base and fell this cemented the ridiculous explanation for my partner with the prehistoric dinosaur seemingly gone he drifted off back to sleep my body found this to be the perfect time to need to relieve itself. I cautiously snuck towards the door, and with the loudest zip in noise history, I opened the door to what I expected to be a bloodbath. Instead, it was a full moon, horses grazing peacefully, and not a thing out of place in this campsite. The next morning, when we were chatting around the campfire, no one from our group had heard a single sound, nor had woken up during the night. My brother-in-law did have a laugh, though, when we told him the story and proceeded to play the sound from his phone, from an app, for hunters to use. Turns out, the pterodactyl was, in fact, just a rabbit. Least it wasn't the button man, who we've also had the pleasure of meeting up there, Allison. What is the button man? I don't know what the button man is. Do you know the button man? (laughs) And it's Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're in Australia. I'm not familiar with... Australian lore, I guess. 
Uh, it says, some deer hunters call him the button man because he puts little bone buttons in his ears and all sorts of stuff. And he collects deer antlers and he carves them into interesting shapes. It sounds like a normal person to me. Like people do that for Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, I don't know, because then another article comes up and it says, who is the button man? More details emerge of spooky expert Bushman who could hold the key to finding married camper who disappeared with his beauty queen friend and his wife had no idea. Who is the button okay, man? So <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. We, need to, we need to know who the button man is. It's like the most insignificant detail of that whole story. And it's the one also, it's really funny that it was just a rabbit, but who is the button man? Yeah. That's really the moral of the story. Please follow up. Someone. Someone. Like with solid information. Okay, my next story is titled A Feline Sign. Hey gals, I sent some tales a couple weeks ago but wanted to reach out again as something recently happened which jogged my memory of this whole situation in general. It's a story of a sign from beyond this living realm that we know. Ever since I was old enough to understand it, I've always considered myself to be a sensitive to whatever it is that's out there that we just don't fully understand, and I don't know if we ever will. All I know is I've seen some glimpses of spirits, ghosts, entities, heard unexplained noises, have felt disembodied touches and can deeply feel what I just call energy. If a place is haunted or has some sort of spiritual history, I can usually tell. It's just a feeling that I get both physically and emotionally. Anyways, I'm sensitive. I've been blessed to have yet to experience the passing of a close loved one, but I have certainly not been spared from the agony of beloved pets passing away. Quite a few actually, as my family always had many cats. When I was seven and just about to start the second grade, my parents thought it would be nice for me to pick out a cat of my very own, since the ones we owned were usually the ones that just showed up. We went to PetSmart on one of those weekend local rescue events, and I picked out a sweet 10-week-old girl who I named Emma. After only a few years, Emma took to escaping outside and just spending some time out there before returning for dinner. That stresses me out, I just have to say. I'm not an outdoor cat girl. I just, my stress level's too big for that. Uh, I am. I know. I, I like just... I'm an optional outdoor cat girl. I'm like, if a cat wants to be outside, we had a cat that you could not contain. I think that's why you would try to keep her inside. And if you had the windows open, she would claw her way through the screen and get outside. And there was just, there was no keeping her in. She was an outdoor cat yeah. through and through, unless you wanted your entire house destroyed. And my mom had a lot of land, so she could do whatever she wanted. But yeah, it's just too stressful for me. There's certainly risk involved if you do that. Oh, look at that. Thankfully, my parents' house rests on 42 acres of mostly woods in a relatively rural area, so I wasn't too worried for her safety. However, the house is close to a road, we had asshole neighbors, and coyotes frequented the woods. Yeah, just All of so those. danger at every turn. Anxiety. <laughs> Anxiety. Emma eventually became a fully outdoor cat. She loved the independence, but was always waiting in the morning for breakfast and in the evening for dinner. After many more years, Emma would have been around 10 at this point. Sometimes Emma's adventures would increase in time and duration, and it wasn't uncommon to not see her for a few days. But after a while, she never came back. It was easy to think the worst. She got hit on the road farther down and we never saw. She fell victim to a coyote or a hawk or our asshole neighbors, got stuck in a hunter's trap, etc., etc. But 
I always felt Emma was still around. At the time, cats weren't routinely microchipped when spayed and neutered, and she didn't have a collar on. It's totally possible that she could have wandered far enough to reach someone else's yard at the edge of the woods or came across a friendly hunter. And I truly believe that is what happened, because she'd visit me in my dreams. I wouldn't just dream of her. A few times a year, I would dream that Emma would randomly show up completely unharmed. While sometimes I can acknowledge I'm dreaming and kind of subconsciously try to control the situation, that was never a thing here. She would show up and I'd immediately call for my family to tell them that Emma was alive and all right. It was just this overwhelming sense of joy and reassurance that she was okay. We had one or two other cats go missing, but I never saw them in my dreams. Emma's visits were very different. I would sometimes wake up convinced she was alive and here and that the dream was a blurry memory from the day before. I bring this up because last week, after a while of not really noticing I hadn't dreamt about her too often recently, I had a dream that Emma showed up in my parents' kitchen while I was visiting. I immediately smiled with pure glee and turned to my boyfriend exclaiming, Look, it's Emma, to which he just kind of looked at me confused. Where? He asked. I pointed at her, and he couldn't see her. Meanwhile, I saw her clear as day, walking through the kitchen. I followed her path as she disappeared around the bend into the living room, where my pap now hangs out most of the day in his old age. I rushed in, but Emma wasn't there. I asked my pap if he had seen her, to which he chuckled and said, Emma? No, she's been gone for years. But I swear I had seen her. I stood there confused for only a moment until it hit me, and I said out loud in my dream, I just saw her ghost. I woke up directly after that, slowly in a groggy state as if I had faded back into consciousness. I smiled as I realized what I believe had to have happened. Emma had passed away, and she came to let me know. Of course, how could I prove something like this? I knew I had to tell my mom, though, as we always share our spooky and weird experiences, and try to talk on the phone every week or so since I recently moved about six hours across the state. I told her about my dream and how I thought Emma had passed and how she let me know, and my mom grew silent. Marissa, she started, that is really weird you bring her up. She asked me to clarify what night I had the dream, and it turns out that morning, while I was probably having the dream, since I slept in, my mom had gone outside to feed the two outdoor cats breakfast. Mind you, these are my mom's buddies and are a part of her strict morning routine. So what I'm about to tell you was very out of the ordinary. She walked out and instead of yelling, Zoe, ninja, without even thinking about it, she yelled, Emma, and stood there for a second, wondering if she had just gotten one step closer to the normal memory issues that come with aging. <laughs> She said it felt odd, and she just wasn't sure what had happened, but it was the same exact morning I had my dream. I really do think Emma has been alive all of this time and periodically somehow let me know she was still around and was okay. I really always believed someone had found her and taken her in solely based on those dreams and how they made me feel upon waking. Someone took her in, and she had been perfectly okay and just wanted to let me know one final time that I don't need to worry. She would be around 15 or 16 now, so it just all seems to make sense. I figured you two may find some interest in this. Danielle, you sharing your journey of grief after the passing your of your partner has really helped me in my current situation of preparing for the passing of my pap. I know that sounds bad, but as I said, I've yet to lose a close loved one, and my pap has been dealing with cancer for almost two years now, and his health gradually declines. First lymphoma, and now prostate cancer. He has always been a light in my life, and losing him will be very hard. But knowing that all of us go through grief and death of a loved one at some point, 
and so many of us receive signs from beyond, I look forward to the signs my pap will send me. And well, now that I'm crying, I'm going to end this email. Sorry it's long. It's the ADHD and autism. Love you gals. Best, Marissa. What a beautiful story. I, there's no, like we say, there's no, there's no coincidences. I think that whatever you felt was probably Emma coming to say her final, like I'm okay. Final goodbye. Final goodbye. I'm okay and and I'm good. Yeah. And what are the chances that her mom had the same like a weird experience experience involving Emma the same way? And morning? it wasn't like Emma hadn't been there in so long too. She hadn't been calling Emma's name for mornings for years. She had probably stopped right. for a long time. So to have that experience. Yeah. No such thing as coincidences. Yeah. I'm a believer for sure. All right, on to my story. Mine is called or titled Mystery Dead Animal Question <laughs> Mark. Why are there so many dead animals in this? Dead, it's not a dead injured. Animal. Okay. It's okay. I'm going to just preface this and say that Cassie and I usually like filter through our own stories and like don't know them, but I picked them this time around and I know it's so funny. Okay. It's funny. I think it's funny. I'm like, I'm and- quitting if this is another dead animal. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Okay. Okay. My name is Abby and this is a story about my mom and I and a mystery dead animal question mark, Danielle. <laughs> We would love it if you read this on the pod. I have been a listener since the first episode and love the depth of research you do and the banter you guys have. You make me want to jump on a flight from Little New Zealand and hike around your national parks. Do it. My mom and I do trapping, aka hiking holidays, both keen walkers and lovers of nature. Side note, indigenous language of... Aotearoa, New Zealand is Maori. I have put pronunciations in brackets in case that helps. It does. Thank you very much. You don't say everything as it's spelled. I see that. Thank you. Oh my God. These are going to, sorry. Oh my God. There's so many. There's just so <laughs> many. Sorry. If anyone was reading this, there's so many difficult things to pronounce coming my way. Let's see. We can, we can um, <sighs> just count them. One, two, three, four, five. I'm just going to go for five it. Five or six national parks. Everyone oh. can just um, struggle with me. Okay. Together, we have <laughs> completed Abel Tasman Coast Track and Abel Tasman's National Park, the Kepler and Fiordland National Park, the Hepi in Kahirangi National Park, and Lake Yaikamarna in Te Yirrawarra <laughs> National Forest. And that is where this story takes place. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> now that we... That place, yeah. That mouthful. We understand. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I understood everything you just said. I'm curious of these places now. Back in 2017, we bundled into the car nice and early and drove almost six hours to our B&B and edge of Te Yirrawarra National Forest Park in the middle of North Island. This is a drive that starts on the State Highway 1, traveling south to Rotorua, and finally heading out into the WAPs and rural roads of the Forest Park. Once we hit the dusty gravel road, we would pass through many small settlements that had cattle grates as their gates as animals like cows, pigs, and horses roamed free within their boundaries. We made it to our Airbnb for the night and to <sighs> God, you really hate me, Danielle. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I forgot about this part. Of, I blocked this part out when okay. I was reading it. 
We made it to our Airbnb for the night in Tui, Wairoa, for one of our night's stay before our host graciously dropped us 50 kilometers away at the southern end of the lake at Anipoto. Yes, it was the closest place with availability and hot showers at the time. A bit about Lake Waikaramoarna and the tramp we did around the edge of it. It is a relatively short multi-day hike spanning just 46 kilometers one way. Mom and I completed it over four days as we like to make a lot of stops and view wildlife. Hunting for the massive Kori snail, its shell is the size of an adult palm, and vibrant purple and blue mushrooms while stopping at viewpoints on bluffs and in forest dells to view the water. You walk around the edge of the lake, staying in huts or tenting at campsites. This lake is 54 square kilometers, 21 square miles. For a few years, there were arguments about who owns the land and therefore who maintains the lake track. Last year, it was finalized that the local iwi would take control over our state entity. The Department of Conservation, DOC, had maintained and managed it for many years prior. We completed the first three nights and four days of our trip without a hitch, making our way to the last hut before heading to the beach for the lake for a boat trip back to the other side upon completion. The last hut we stayed in was Marauiti Hut. It was getting late on the last evening. We ate dinner, cooked on the wet back of the fireplace, and played some cards before heading in for the night. We were the only people staying, and the huts have no locks and no doors except for the front door. The bunk rooms were two high beds, white wood, with a crawl space below the ground floor bed. We snuggled up in our sleeping bags, mum closest to the door and me on the other side of the room. At about 1 a.m., I woke up to mum whispering my name. Abigail? Abigail? Are you awake? I stirred and awoke. I am now, I said. What's wrong? Mum motioned towards the underneath of her bunk and whispered. I put my arm down the side by accident and I touched something furry. Now I'm awake, lying on the other side of the room, feeling a giddy stress build up, but with no intention of getting out of bed to kneel on the floor with my torch and peer underneath my mum's bed. What did it feel like? I asked. It felt solid, but hairy. I'm wondering if it's a possum, she said. I said... I feel I have to put it out there. Do you think it's a person hiding under the bed? Mum froze, and after some back and forth over a discussion and decision that neither of us wants to get out of bed to check, she casually rolled up over saying, Well, I hope it's nothing sinister, but since we aren't willing to check, let's try and get more sleep and see what it is in the morning. Of course, we had like no sleep after that, lying awake thinking there might be someone on the floor of our bunk room. As morning broke, I rolled over to see that mum's bed was empty, sleeping bag unzipped, but she wasn't in it. I instantly yelled out, Mom! I hear a rustling from the kitchen and she says, I'm in here, love, just making tea. I got out of the bed and stumbled to the doorway. I thought you had been taken for a second, I say. No, love, have been up for hours, just couldn't sleep, she said. After a brief good morning, I remember about the solid hairy object under the bed and asked if she had taken a look. She hadn't and wanted me to be there with her when she checked. When we went back into the bunk room and both got on the ground, I shone my head torch under and there was this brown, furry-looking object at the back. We took the poking stick from the fireplace and fished out our mystery. Dead animal? It turned out to not be living at all, but a woolly camping sock with something stuffed into it. Mom's face just turns from shocked to amused and she rolls her eyes. I'm young and innocent at the age of 19 and have no clue what I'm looking at. Mom says, don't touch it. I'm just going to put a sock on my hand. 
I looked after her, confused, as she proceeded to put an ankle sock over her hand and then give me some of the parcel. She holds the thing on the inside and asks me to pull the woolly sock off. Lo and behold, hidden within this woolly tramping sock, hidden down the side of a bunk at this tramping hut, was a 1991 Playboy magazine. (laughs) I then knew, and you probably know too, why she wanted a barrier between herself and this crusty object. (laughs) Ew. Smack bam on the front cover was a lady posing in a tiny bikini for the camera. This magazine was 26 years old when we discovered it. My mom is a modest lady, and so after contemplation about what to do with it, we shoved it and the sock underneath the bed as two separate items and carried on with our mission. Now it's just a funny story we share. Yes, mom did thoroughly wash her hands after. And that is the story of the mystery dead animal porno magazine while tramping in the forest. Thank you so much for reading. It has taken me a long time to put into words because it's a long story. Love listening to your stories and love your intros. Keep up the great work, ladies. All the best, Abby. What a story of mother-daughter bonding. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that was a turn and a twist I was not expecting at all. Told you it wasn't a dead animal. It certainly wasn't. Aren't you happy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I would prefer, to be honest. That's disgusting. <laughs> not the magazine, so- just like what might be on it. Um. <laughs> just the whole situation is 26 years old. Yeah. Like, it's just been there. How many people have used that mag? Oh, my God. Okay. I- <laughs> And it's in a I didn't even sock. think of that, honestly. Uh, yeah. How many people use this? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm <laughs> okay. Done. I was not, I did not even think of that. I was thinking that it was just like a one-off thing. Just, a, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say a guy being a guy and them just like stuffing into it between the bed and it's just been forgot about for decades. Not someone repetitive, like not like a thing that's like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants or something. Sisterhood of the Traveling Sock Porno Magazine. (laughs) Brotherhood of the... (laughs) Of the woolly sock. Yeah. Woolly porno sock. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that that's taken a turn, let's talk about squirrels. I love squirrels. My squirrel... Oh, oh. yeah. Squirrel... Squench. (laughs) What is it? (laughs) Scrunch. Scrunch? Scrunch. Scrunch. Well, we probably haven't given an, a girl. Uh, an update, but my squirrel that you guys heard about like two months ago is doing really good. I just got an update that her eyes opened and she's thriving and she loves her new siblings. So doing great. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest development is that she's a girl and not a boy. Yeah, she's a girl, not a boy. Never actually really checked. And then after we recorded checked and uh, a girl for sure surprise, surprise. scrunch scrunch is a girl scrunch. and she's thriving she's living her best squirrel life awesome this story is titled killer squirrels of the parks Ooh. scrunch the killer squirrel scrunch <laughs> <laughs> the revenge of scrunch <laughs> Hi gals, I had a friend recommend your podcast and I too just wanted to say that your episodes made me cry with how much I miss going to the national parks and my ecology field seasons. While I have so many stories, I thought that my killer squirrel story definitely was the one that needed to be shared. (laughs) I agree. Let me, yeah. (laughs) 
Let me start by saying, while in my life, I have had a lot of close calls. Bears so close you didn't need a zoom on your camera, a moose who almost ran me over, cows that were so aggressive I had to jump a small ravine to get away, but deep down, the one animal that scares the shit out of me are squirrels. Go ahead and laugh, but this tale starts with a family trip to the Grand Canyon and ends with me running the most ironic pilot field study that could have ever fallen into my lap. When I was young, probably under 10 years old, my family went on vacation to the Grand Canyon. The day started off like any park vacation with a long hike. My brothers and I were so excited as it was our first time in the canyon and the switchbacks had us racing to see how far we could get ahead of our parents. After a while, our energy levels dipped and we grabbed some granola bars from our parents and continued on the path taking in the colorful canyon walls. Now, anyone who has been to the Grand Canyon can tell you there are a ton of signs mentioning not to feed the wildlife. Being a stickler for the rules, even as a child, I had no plans on sharing my snacks with the native animals. However, the literal second I opened that granola bar, every, and I do mean every squirrel within a quarter <laughs> mile started popping out out of every crevice within view. Wary, I kept walking, picking up the pace while munching on my bar. The squirrels quickly started following me, inching closer and closer <laughs> like a pack of hungry lions. Getting nervous, I started jogging to try and catch up with my brother and the squirrels picked up the pace. <laughs> Suddenly, I felt the brush of a furry paw on my leg and saw my life flash before my eyes as a squirrel tried to climb up it. Screaming for dear life, I dropped the granola and sought refuge with my siblings, the squirrels high-fiving each other over a successful intimidation plan. This reminds... Okay, I'm going to reference a movie that I hope you can understand. We'll try. The, the second Jurassic Park movie. Oh yeah, it I've opens, seen Jurassic Park movies. All of them. The... You know the second one when it's the little girl on the beach and she has a sandwich and all those little like dinosaurs like peep up and they're like, oh, what you got? And they're tiny and she's like, oh, like, do you want a piece of the sandwich? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they all like attack and kill yeah. her. Like that's <laughs> squirrel version. Like, squirrel like are just like <laughs> popping out of every out of every corner and just gang up on her and steal her food. Don't feed the wildlife. Don't feed the bears. Don't feed the deer or goats. And especially don't feed the killer squirrels. That day, I felt true fear and jumped every time I thought a squirrel was too close. Fast forward 10 years, I'm working at a museum and was offered the opportunity of a lifetime to work in the Cascades and run the pilot year of a field study on hybrids and territory mapping. The only problem, the whole study was on squirrels. Did I bite my tongue and say nothing about my fear of squirrels? You betcha. <laughs> Did I face several more death-defying moments with squirrels? Well, there's a reason we named a squirrel Capone. In the end, though, my crew and I got to know those damn squirrels insanely well. We cried when one of the squirrels was killed by a predator, and we laughed when squirrels shouted insults at one another from their territories, and we even named every dang squirrel we encountered on the same seven-mile stretch we walked from 5 a.m., to 4 p.m. almost every day for two and a half months. While I am still scared as fuck of squirrels, never tell my boss, <laughs> and definitely screamed when a squirrel we named Parkour jumped on my face, I'll never forget my adopted squirrel family in the mountains, Stephanie. That's so funny. That's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, squirrels are the best, but I can. I would be a little fearful to, too if I had a if I was ganged up on by squirrels. Yeah, that would, I would either, I think I would have one or two reactions. I'd be like, oh my God, the first one is I'm being murdered by a group of squirrels. Or I'd be like, I found my tribe. I am their leader. And I would think that I had my own. <laughs> 
I would have my own tribe of squirrels, my own gang. I will say I had kind of not anything near this type of experience, but last August, yeah, it was on the it was on the hike that I had the sign from my dad in Mount Rainier mm-hmm. last August on his birthday. And so I was alone and like I got to the, the the summit, the viewpoint, whatever. I sit down and it was like this big volcanic rocky area. And as soon as I sat down and like I haven't even opened my bag yet. Like there's not even food in my hand yet. <laughs> the chipmunks came for blood. Came there for were blood. so many of them. They were like on my legs. They were under like they were like scurrying under like my like my butt and like between my legs. And like they were just staring at me on their back legs. I'm like, you're f- freaking me out like I'm scared Mm -hmm. like they were so ballsy and it just is so disheartening because like Stephanie said like don't feed them because they scare people when you feed them I had a I had a instance with that on hunting island in South Carolina they have a population of deers and of deer there and I was there years ago I mean this was 2016 now that I was there so I don't know if it's still going on or not but It was the same thing when I would go and we had a campsite. It was just a regular designated campsite with a fire pit, a picnic table in the woods. And as soon as we brought food out and put it on the picnic table, we were surrounded by deer and they were coming right up to us. I mean, they were trying to stick their head in the bag of trip chips that they had they were touching us and they were covered in ticks trying to touch us and it scared us I mean normally I would love to think that I was a deer whisperer and I was like the only person who could touch these deer and they had suddenly befriended me but that's not like real life obviously and they were just habituated to all the people who had been feeding them and now they were super close to me and they looked like they carried diseases and I was just like I don't want these animals near me at all they were cute it's like I don't want them right here it's just not good in any sort of no way. and they're not like scary animals you don't think of a, a squirrel or a chipmunk as scary but when they're in your personal space and you don't know if you're gonna get bit or you're gonna get a disease if you do get bit it gets scarier yeah and then like obviously so I get up I'm like I can't deal with this <laughs> and then I look over and there's like people feeding them like their cliff bars and stuff I'm like oh, like you're the reason come on uh, but anyway I think that's it for our regular episode yeah we have two more for outsiders on uh, patreon or apple subscription so if you want to keep listening and listen to our other ones I have one that's titled the unexpected find that is very interesting I actually kind of forget what that one is so I'm excited and then mine is titled become who I was meant to be oh Well, if you're interested, go join Apple subscriptions or Patreon. But if you're not, we'll just see you during our next episode. And in the meantime, enjoy the view. But watch your back. Bye, everyone. See ya. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. If you have a trail tale or story suggestion, send us an email at stories at npadpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at National Park After Dark and on Twitter at npadpodcast. Join our Outsiders Only community on Patreon or Apple subscriptions to listen ad-free, unlock monthly bonus episodes, and exclusive content. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you are supporting our show. For our exclusive discount code, and source information from today's episode, check out the show notes. For more information on our show, our book recommendations, merch updates, and more, visit our website at npadpodcast.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe from wherever you listen to podcasts.